0: Welcome to the Beltway Outsiders podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Vaughn, here today with another episode of where I'm reacting to the latest debate, this time the third total debate that we've had and the second presidential debate overall between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. So we're going to skip the normal introductions here, just going to jump right into this to this uh, reaction episode that we've had after the other ones. And so sort of jump into this debate, which was held at Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee, which is where near where I live. So I'm very familiar with that area. So in this debate, we had sort of a, sort of just, uh, you know, a general morass of topics that they were covering. This was not, usually when you have a second or the middle debate here, you focus on something like foreign policy, since that's something unique to itself. But in this case, we're continuing to focus on the broadly just domestic issues here in this debate. We probably should have jumbled up the format this year and just had one total nonstop debate over the coronavirus. Looking back now, since this is likely going to be the last debate that we have, that's something that people should just sort of looked around and said, hey, This is the top issue. We should probably have a debate only about this issue. And I say that because, as I've said, I believe in other podcasts and in the newsletter, we're very likely about to hold a general election in the middle of another peak of this pandemic. The trend lines are going up across the board. I was checking the COVID tracking project and their seven-day averages on new cases, hospitalizations, and deaths all trending in the wrong direction. They're all going up. So that is a bad signal. And it says that we're very likely going to be voting in the middle of this pandemic. And if you're early voting, you're probably voting in places where you're having to wear masks, social distance, so on and so forth. So this is the number one issue. How we're reacting to it is the number one issue. And We just probably should have had a whole night where they just discussed the ins and outs of that and how to deal with it. But we're getting this sort of piecemeal approach because they want to talk about other issues as well. So this was the debate where they changed the rules, the debate commission. And I think this is going to be one of the last debates where you see the debate commission. I could be wrong on that, but I just think they have shot through their credibility on this, especially with Republicans. Had they done the same thing to a Democrat, this thing would not have even gone through. So we're going to see. I think this might be the last time you ever see the debate commission have this level of power over this process. We may just see the, the different campaigns just negotiate from now on and deal with it that way. But overall, this was definitely a better quote-unquote debate. You had a moderator that was a little bit more control. They had mute buttons in this one, which with just that threat, that meant that neither candidate was talking during the allotted two minutes. I thought that definitely benefited Donald Trump just because you had Joe Biden talking more. That was the problem with the first one. He didn't allow Biden to talk much. He scored a lot of points, but without letting Biden talk, you didn't allow Biden to sort of just jumble over himself as he sort of did tonight. There weren't any meltdowns or clear knockouts, and those are just rare in general with debates, but it was a better overall. And when you're having Biden having to constantly give answers like this, I think as you can see tonight, it very clearly wore him down. And I also thought for the most part, with the exception of one, which we'll get over, all the questions were good. I thought the moderator asked pretty good questions. There's one in particular that was great, and I thought that it was just good for both of them to have to answer it. But there was one that was just awful, and it was really a follow-up on her part. But we'll get to there to that one. But overall, it was a good debate. Biden, I thought, throughout of it, was just flat-out incoherent. Just incoherent word salad describes almost all his answers. And that's nothing new for him lately. It's just it was very pronounced in this debate. He was given two minutes to answer And you might as well just fall asleep for those two minutes because you weren't going to get anything. All his complaints about being interrupted in the previous debate were really instances where Donald Trump was saving him. Had you had this debate then, you might have actually seen the polls move in a positive manner for Trump. But this was a better debate overall, good topics overall. And the problem with Biden is that he was very very clearly fading down the stretch. In fact, he was fading so hard, at one point at the very end, he was checking his watch just to see if this thing was over. He wanted this debate over. He looked very old and very tired, and the longer the debate went on, the less that he could hold on. And In fact, I thought it's it's kind of like if you're in a boxing match, you just kind of wish sometimes that you had 10 more seconds to see what would happen. Well, in this one, I wish this had gone 30 minutes longer just to see what would have happened to Biden, because he was struggling towards the end of that, along with, you know, just checking his watch. He he couldn't give a coherent answer. He was stumbling over everything. He couldn't remember what he was trying to say. It was a pretty bad performance on that front for him. And for Trump, if you're measuring along you know what he he normally does, he was much more measured than he was in the first one. He was on the attack pretty constantly, defending his record pretty well, much more contained this time, and he stayed more substantive instead of trying to get Biden to have those flashes and those flare ups so overall, this was a much better debate for Trump. I think you'd probably put this in one of his better performances and the the issues with the first one where he didn't allow Biden to answer and sort of just show his cards, that was more pronounced this time because when Trump did decide to make those cuts in and, and push Biden to do something, it stood out more. Instead of just being a general loud fan going constantly throughout of it, he was able to make his points and make certain areas stand out more than others, which helped out tremendously. Uh, we'll get to all of them. Uh, Because I had notes on this. But I was looking at an election analyst, uh, Patrick Graffini, with Echelon Insights, and he was looking at the top trending searches for different people, for, you know, Trump and Biden. And... The number one searches that people, number one and number two searches that people were doing for Biden were uh, Biden ban fracking and Biden on the word super predators in terms of his support for the crime bill. So those two things, when people were watching the debate, that is what they were looking up afterwards. So they were looking up fracking and whether or not he was before banning fracking, and they were looking up what he had called black people during he, his support for the 1994 crime bill in Congress. So overall, and these were different areas that Trump had highlighted and hit him pretty hard in the debate. And so this shows just sort of on the backside that Trump was landing these punches and people were going and checking on him because they were effective punches that he was throwing here. And I know if you look on the backside, the, I think it was the only poll that I've seen so far, and it's still very early because I'm recording this pretty soon afterwards, but CNN released in one of those snap instant polls of people who were watching the debate. I think they only had 39% showed that Trump was winning, which for him was one of the better margins that he'd had in one of these. I think they said it was his second best. And so, you know. He he. If you if you're going purely off polls, he lost. Every, he's lost every single debate that he's ever been in. If you're looking at where he's scoring points and where it can matter, this is where he probably won more than Biden. Primarily because I didn't think Biden landed that many clean punches. The ones that he did got overshadowed later on by far more viral moments. And when Trump did get hit hard, it was because he was hitting himself. Like he had a couple of flip, slip ups. And I don't even know if you call one of them slip-ups, because he said himself that he shouldn't have said it while he was saying it, and that's Donald Trump. So his greatest enemy in all these things is always himself. So like the, the previous reactions, we'll start out and just sort of walk through the different topics that they hit and some of the thoughts that I had going through this. They started, as you might expect, talking about the coronavirus and the coronavirus response, and for the most part, I you know, they were going back and forth on a, most of this. Trump was, you know, measured. He was making the case for himself since he got to start it off. Biden started out and he did what you'd expect any trained politician to do in this moment. You don't because he, he was asked, you know, what is your plan? And then he spent the first like 90 seconds of his response talking about all the failures of Trump and then left the last 10 to 15 seconds just to say, well, this is what I would do too and he has to do that because that's also his greatest weakness on this point because he doesn't he doesn't really have a plan on this and it's very noticeable that he doesn't have a plan on this front because you have Trump out here who's making the case for what he's done and when you look at Biden's Plan. it's the same as some of the stuff that Trump is saying. All he does, all Biden does, is cherry-pick what Trump says, the good things that Trump says, and leaves everything else behind and says that he's better. Well, if you don't want to deal with Donald Trump in the middle of all this, then it probably is better. But if you're wanting an actual plan, he doesn't actually have one. And that is is interesting to me, that that we're in the middle of a global pandemic, and when you really get to the push-shove section here of what are you going to do, Biden effectively doesn't have a plan. He's saying, "Oh, you know, we need faster tests, we need people to wear masks, and we need social distancing, and these are all great things that we're already doing. You know, he talks about needing a vaccine. That's also great, but we're also working towards that. And instead, what he does is he paints a picture of doom and gloom, and if we don't do these things, then we're going to meet the worst-case scenario, whereas Trump is saying we're already doing these things we're going to have a better-case scenario. So the he doesn't have a plan per se in Biden. And I find that just automatically disqualifying here because it's just you have to have a plan in these types of situations you're talking about a global response and it's not just as I've written in, in, in other areas it's not just that we're dealing with America's response to this this is a global response and people are looking and other countries are looking to America and how to respond to this because we are the ones coming up with the tests we're the ones going to be coming up with a vaccine we're the ones testing the bulk of all these all the all the various treatments and so we are the ones funding and pushing most of this and so So it's not just us. It's the rest of the world that needs this. And that's partially why, you know, when you look at what we're having to do and what we're having to do for the rest of the world, it really undercuts how bad I think it actually was in China because they don't have any of this. They didn't have good tests. We know that because we've seen other countries try to use their tests and they were worthless. And so I just don't think China ever had any kind of adequate response to this. They probably just ended up killing everybody and then just didn't reporting it. But that's neither here nor there. So the fact that Biden doesn't have a plan on this front, I find just automatically disqualifying. And for, you know, longtime readers and listeners, you know that I've written and talked about this near constantly since in in some different way since February. After the shutdown happens with the borders with China, which I thought was a good idea at that time, it started showing up in my writing and it, it wasn't just something that I was reading and following on the side. So this is something I've followed for a long time. I've offered my thoughts on what we should do. And the fact that the Biden campaign, who claims he's going to follow the science, doesn't actually have a plan. He's just drafting off Trump, undercuts any notion that he has that trump doesn't have a plan if you're doing the same thing as the other guy and saying that the other guy doesn't have a plan, then either one you don't have a plan or the guy in charge has a good plan, and you're just going to continue to doing the same things just with all the less of the trumpisms that come along with it but if that's the only difference, then you don't actually have anything unique to offer to this conversation. And it is frustrating to me, because we should have a whole debate on this entire thing. We should have a long, hard debate on how to reopen schools, and that's not happening. All these various things are impacting every last single person in our society, and we're not actually having a real discussion on any of this. We're having a fake discussion, and it's very frustrating for me to watch and listen on that front. One of the points that Trump made during the middle of all of this is that You know, part of his problem is that he's having to deal with blue states, which are handling this a lot different than red states. And there is some truth to that. You get into some of these, you know, places like New York and some of these other places where the lockdowns are far harsher. And I kind of understand it in places like that, why you would have a harsher lockdown. But there's not any also real attempts to reopen. And so you're automatically, in doing all this, also destroying people's lives. And in any event, Trump was making this point. And then Biden, bizarrely, he had these literally back-to-back sentences where he said, you know, he was trying to mimic Obama on this point where he said, you know, I don't see red states. I don't see blue states. If I'm president, I'll be the president of all states. And then, literally the next second but and then if you look at where the actual spikes are happening it's not the blue states that are the problem it's actually these red states that's where all these spikes are happening and so it's 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 kind of a copy of the that obama bear thing where you pitch out this oh i'm the president of everybody and then immediately undercut it with hyper partisan points on red state blue state which you were just saying was wrong and it's just annoying because there are differences in how democrats and republicans are handling this thing and if you look at the actual how the death rates and the cases and everything it is it it looks different now it looks a little bit more the same if you just take out the northeast which handled it the absolute worst and compare the rest of the country but there still is that difference there's far more reliance on shutdowns in some of these blue states than there are in red and There are just differences overall with the schools and everything else. And this is something, like I said, when you're talking about having a debate and a discussion about this, this is something we should actually discuss, but it's not something that is actually happening. And so that is just one of my many litany of problems when you're talking about the coronavirus and how I respond to that. So that was the first segment. Overall, I thought Biden. this is a segment that Biden should win. This is something that should be served up for him on a platter to win, and I didn't think he did. He he didn't have any good points on his plan. He had good points when you're talking about where Trump has failed. There are some stronger points there that he could have made, but he didn't make them. And overall, this is where I thought it was pretty clear that if Biden was going to have to talk for two minutes, a shot at this, it was pretty clear that he couldn't do it. And this this segment pretty much proved it. And there, were, you could even see this, watching on Twitter because even people, even the liberals were beginning to freak out saying, well, that Biden was not, you know, making the case against Trump on this segment pretty hard because there is a hard case you can make here. And I've certainly made it against Trump and the administration, but Biden did, didn't and it didn't appear that he could do it. So that was kind of telling for what was going to happen overall for the rest of the night. And then, And then after the coronavirus section, which is pretty clear why you were talking about that. This is when I thought the debate kind of went off the rails for a little bit, because this is where you started to get in a little bit to China. Somehow, in in what was supposed to be, I think, more of a foreign policy segment, we got into, and this wasn't even because of Trump, Biden was bringing up some of this. So in the middle of the foreign policy section, we're kind of talking about China, we somehow talked about China, Hunter Biden, Trump's, Taxes, Trump's bank accounts in China—they're just there was a litany of things here that both of them were arguing against each other. And as a person who knows all these stories, has read them, is aware of them, I couldn't make heads or tails of the points that they were trying to make throughout this. And I think it was it was Biden who got to kickstart this off. And I tweeted my my only response to this was: "This is incoherent. This is utterly incoherent. I could not tell." for the life of me, what he was trying to do. And of course, throughout all of this, the thing that he ended up bringing up, for whatever reason, I don't know why he brought it up, but he's the one who ended up bringing Hunter Biden into everything, and this Hunter Biden story in the New York Post, which then allowed Trump, free range, to just run free all over this for this entire segment, which ended up sort of mucking up this entire this entire thing. Because you have to remember here, the the actual... Accusation in this story is that Hunter Biden had deals with foreign entities. And these foreign entities were sending kickbacks to Hunter Biden, and that Joe Biden was also getting some of this as well. I believe it was once he was outside the White House. That was how they're trying to construct the timeline on all this, and it's kind of confusing. That is what the timeline looks like it measures up as. So that's the accusation. Straight up. What Biden denied in this section is that he had never taken money from foreign countries, which is a slightly different denial than what the actual accusation is. Now he could have done that because this is what Trump said. Like I said, a lot of this and I say this as a person who knows these stories, it was incoherent, mush, and I don't know that any points in this section were really scored back and forth just because it was so muddied. For one, Trump has a difficulty of actually creating a narrative account of what happened. The moderator didn't really ask a clean enough question in this area to really bring out what had happened. And because this is a negative hit on Biden, he had no reason to actually make it clean and make people understand it either. So it was a very confusing, kind of a fraught segment here. But the interesting thing, if you're following this story, is that Biden didn't deny the accusation of the story. He denied that he was taking money from foreign countries, which is not the accusation of the story. So I found that interesting. The second thing he did is that at no point did he ever deny the accuracy or he never said that the emails, texts or computer-involved, Hunter Biden's laptop, where all this is apparently on, at no point did he deny that any of this wasn't actually there and factual. So they're not denying the legitimacy of any of this supposed evidence. And this apparently is all in the FBI's hands. Just before the debate, I forget the guy's name, but there is one of the guys who's connected with this has verified that all of this is correct, verified that Biden is one of the people involved and is willing to testify before the Senate. So you're probably going to get a Senate hearing here over the next few days on this topic. And <laughs> if you're having flashbacks to 2016, I would understand because I fully expect at some point this laptop's going to get released by the FBI or the information on it's going to be verified and released by the FBI in some manner or fashion. This is this is not just going to sit out there. And so we're going to have another moment with the FBI potentially here at the end of an election. So uh, (laughs) again, if you're having PTSD flashbacks right now, I would understand because this is what I'm expecting to happen here because Biden is a little cagey on this one. He's very, he acts very angry and he's denying certain allegations, but he's not denying the exact allegations, which is Always, we, Biden's a politician, and he's smart. And so you know when he's doing this, he's doing it for a reason, even if he is missing a step. he's been his, his team obviously came up with this as the thing that they were going to deny and that he ever took any money at all from a foreign country. Fine. That's not the allegation. And none of this other stuff has been denied either. And we have a person out here who's named and on the record confirming that it's all true. So this would be... As far as I can tell, there's no legal, illegal corruption or illegal kickbacks or any kind of bribery happening here. This is just unseemly and untoward behavior. So that's just kind of where things are going to be. I don't see the clear smoking gun of here is Joe Biden taking money for X and this is clear bribery and collusion with foreign power. This just looks like regular corruption, where it's legal, but we all know that this is wrong. That's what it looks like anyway. And the thing about this is that Hunter Biden, his son, he absolutely is this way. We, we've known he's this way for a while. It should have come up in the Democratic primaries. But none of the candidates decided to make it an issue, even though there were several left-wing journalists who were writing stories. Like I said, I think I even quoted them in one of the newsletters, the New York Magazine, the New Yorker, places like that. They were writing pretty hefty articles on Hunter Biden and talking about whether or not he would be an issue in the primaries. And it turns out he's going to be an issue in the general, which was what some people thought he might be. But for the most part, I didn't think Trump landed any punches here because it was such a muddied issue. And so... The only way this becomes an issue is that if it's made an issue in the news, and that could happen with the release of the laptop or the Senate investigation or something, something's got to happen along that line to boost this in the public's imagination and make them see something. And again, what people are misunderstanding about this story, it's not that people are going to hear this story about Biden corruption and say, oh, well, Biden's corrupt, now I'm voting for Trump. It's not about that. People misunderstand what Trump's doing here with this story. What he's doing is making voters who don't like Biden already see a story like that, see the media covering up for it and say, I'm not going to vote now. And that is something that can happen because it is something that happened in 2016 with the Comey letter and all all the fallout from that. It especially happened with your hardcore progressive left. They saw this and they said Hillary Clinton is corrupt. We're not voting. So, they just didn't turn out. They just said, if you, you know, whatever happens, happens, we're not voting on the top of the ticket. And so Clinton didn't get the boost of support she needed in some of these Midwestern cities, and her support collapsed. And that probably cost her the election. And you see this tightening in the race, because there were two things that were happening at the end of that race. One, there was a come home effect for Republicans. They all said, okay, well, we don't like Trump, but we're Republicans, so we're going to vote Republican. So they all came home. I expect that's probably going to happen again. Trump is sitting around between 86 to 88% with Republicans, whereas Biden is sitting around 96%. And you would expect Trump and Biden to be much closer on that, just in an era of negative polarization, which we're in. A Republican should just automatically almost drill 95% without even thinking about it. So I would just expect Trump's support to go up, And then what a story like this is that it cuts into Biden's Democratic lead. It's not about swaying voters one way or the other. It's about suppressing one side of the vote who sees this and says, we're just not going to vote. So that's the aspect of this story. It's not going to change people's minds, but it could change whether or not they're going to vote at all. And so if you're Trump, you want a Biden voter to look at this and just say, well, I'm not going to vote. The end. And if you're Biden, you're trying to say, well, Trump is worse. This story doesn't matter. I'm going to ignore it and just try to eke out my lead here. So we'll see. I have no idea what's going to happen here. I have not seen many good polls. We may get some here after this debate. Here, in fact, we'll probably see a slew of polls after this debate where people try to capture what's happening here in the last few days of the campaign. But that is the impact of the Hunter Biden story. And if this thing drags into November, it's going to be harder because one of the points that I've made. In the column or the newsletter, is that we've only we've got a very limited amount of time here before before the good the good polls that we're going to get are going to eventually cut off, and then we're likely going to see hurting at the end. Where everybody says, I would fully expect everybody at the end of this race to say, "Oh well, Joe Biden has a six to eight point lead." They'll trim these nine and ten points out and say it's a six to eight point. And that'll be where they heard. And so that's going to mask any movement that could be happening in either direction, actually. I could You could convince me that direction happens in these polls either more towards Biden or more towards Trump. But they're going to say probably 6% to 8%. And if they drift below that, and I think Trump only needs to be losing in the national polls by 4 to 5% before he has that puncher's chance kick in, if he can get to there and the movement goes to there, then this thing is a real ball game at that point. So, and like I said, my expectation for this, for this entire thing is that it's either going to be a narrow Trump win or a Biden blowout. Those are really your only two options. Voters are going to swing here at the end, and they do every election, and you can't see it until literally like the last three to five days of the election, and there are no polls ever in the field during that time. So something's going to happen, but I have no idea what. That's obviously a rabbit trail of a different kind, sort of explaining the Hunter Biden story. We'll get back into the debate here. Let's see. So during the foreign policy section, we are talking about one of the attacks that the moderator and Biden were making on Trump that it was he had too, too much of a friendly relationship with some of these authoritarian uh, countries, places like Russia, North Korea, China, and so on and so forth. Uh, Trump's defense of himself was that it's just good for us to have good relations with everyone. I would disagree with that. I don't actually think Joe Biden can effectively rebut this because he had Kamala Harris go out and and say, you know, well, foreign policy is all about relationships. Well, if it's all about relationships, then having good relationships with everybody makes a lot of sense. And the point of the truth is this, that Joe Biden's been wrong on foreign policy for his entire career. Barack Obama has more accuracy on foreign policy than Joe Biden, and it was very abundant and clear during his eight years in the the vice presidency, because his previous years in the Senate were just abysmal. But that said, that was his attack, was that, you know, Trump was just oddly friendly with all these authoritarian dictators. And Trump's he said well you know it's just good if we have friendships with everybody and then biden bizarrely went had a full you know a full godwin's law moment and if you don't know internet thing a godwin's law is the, the the internet law that every internet discussion automatically devolves to well, what about hitler Everything always devolves into the Nazis. Every argument of any kind, of anywhere you ever see it. Everything always devolves to Nazis. And that's what Biden did. He's like, well, you know, we, you're you know, you, you being all friendly with that. It's like being friendly with Hitler. And he definitely said that. It was bizarre because I definitely have issues with some of the stuff Trump has done. Calling him literally Hitler for having friendly relations is not one of them. So it was definitely bizarre. So that ended the foreign policy segment. Like I said, it was mostly just a mess because we're weaving in and out of China, Hunter Biden, Ukraine, Russia. It was just an unmitigated disaster. And I don't think there was anything the moderator could do because both Trump and Biden were opening up doors for the other to attack each other, so it was just a mess. Then we moved into the much more clean area that everyone kind of understands of healthcare and it was the only glimpse we got at the Supreme Court, and the moderator was the only one that brought up Amy Coney Barrett, which I thought was fascinating. Biden never mentioned her. Trump bizarrely didn't do it either. I thought he should have. And so then they got to talking about health care. So it started out as a, you know, what are you going to do about health care if the Supreme Court strikes down this law? As an aside, the odds of that happening are below 5%, I think. It, there's this thing called severability. They're going to sever the individual mandate from the rest of that law, and the rest of it's going to stand. There's not the odds of this getting struck down are phenomenally straw small, and I, that's not just me saying that. Pretty much every conservative legal thinker on the map thinks this that they're just going to split this in law in two. So Republicans aren't going to get off the hook here. Obamacare is going to stand the books. And eventually we're going to have to come back here and deal with this law eventually again. So even though it's not going to get struck down, no one in their right mind wants to keep this law as the way there is. That's why Biden is now running on his new Obamacare with a public option, which I remind you, we dealt with this in 2009, and Democrats who had a supermajority balked at it. Again, if Medicare for All and healthcare for all were so simple, you would see some of these blue states do it. And every time these blue states have come to it, they've always done the same thing. They've looked at the costs and they've just laughed and walked away. You cannot get the blue states to do this. And those that have tried have failed miserably. But here we are Biden saying he wants a public option. Trump attacks this as socialized medicine. And, you know, the. The attacks that Republicans make on this stick because you have somebody like Bernie Sanders out here saying, this is what I actually want, Medicare for all. Everyone gets the same thing. Well, the problem with Medicare for all is very simple. If you institute Medicare with all, you immediately kick off 180 million people off their private health insurance plans, most of whom who like their plans. So you're immediately replacing it with a government plan and immediately also ending the health insurance sector overall. This is actually a question that Bernie Sanders got during the debates, and I thought it was a clever one by the moderators, and I forget which one it was, but they were asking him, you know, you're about to end the careers of people who are working in the health insurance industry, so what are you going to do? And so he just gave some non-answer about how we would magically retool them and stick them elsewhere, but this is actually serious. These people would lose their jobs. I actually know people in this country. they would lose their jobs if this happened, and you would eventually, you would have an absolute revolt on your hands because the 180 million people, some of them may want Medicare for All, the mass majority of them do not. You want to give Republican control of the suburbs you i mean you want to give control of the suburbs back to Republicans. Push this plan and tell people you'll get rid of all of them So what Trump is trying to do here is connect this public options to socialized medicine and getting rid of all that. That is not the plan that Biden is claiming that he wants, and so it's not it doesn't stick quite as well. The deal here though, and what Trump is really trying to do is to say that. This may be what Biden is saying, but his left flank will push him further and we'll get socialized medicine that way. And that attack does have more stickiness to it. And that's because, and Trump even made this connection, he he said, you know, you're saying you're not going to do socialized medicine. That's the same thing as you saying that you're not going to ban fracking and you're going or you are going to ban fracking. You know, you've got all these promises out there going one way or the other, depending on which audience you're talking to. And so... That was a clever hit by Trump. Now, the weakness of Trump's position here is that the Republican Party has absolutely no consensus on any healthcare plan whatsoever. It's been a decade now, and they've had all the time in the world to come up with a consensus plan and they failed to do so. It's not that there's no plan. That is what you know the Bidens and a lot of the people of the left will say, well, Republicans just don't have a plan on this. That's not true. There are a litany of plans of how to handle healthcare. The problem is that there's no consensus on how to deal with healthcare, and until you build that consensus, you're going to continue hitting this this thing where Republicans only oppose everything the Democrats put forward. So there's no consensus on the right. So when Trump, when not Trump, when Biden makes his attack, saying that Trump has no plan here. There is some truth to that because Republicans don't actually have a consensus plan. They just oppose Obamacare and they would like to see it overturned. But everyone before that generally agreed that the status quo pre-Obamacare was bad. So this just fits in another area where Democrats had a failed health care battle in the 90s. They had another one now in the 2000s. And now they're looking to have another fight somewhere in the near future. The odds of that going the same way are slim because even if you want the medicare for all option you have to get that thing through congress and i just don't see how you're going to get the moderates of either party to go along with that because it is electoral suicide it just it absolutely is because you're asking these people to say to the purple districts where they're being elected we're getting rid of your private health insurance plan and that is a very powerful argument it is one that Kamala Harris made early on in the Democratic primaries, and it almost single handedly sunk her campaign right there at the beginning on the spot before a single debate. She was at some kind of town hall, asked a question on that, and she just flippantly said, Oh, yeah, we we'll just get rid of all of that. Which immediately told me that she was an awful debater and an awful campaigner and had to put no thought whatsoever into anything related to health care because she just flippantly said that. And she's still a bad debater. That's why. I'm Pence pretty cleanly beat her in that debate. But this is where we are. Now we're pushing for, and Biden used this phrase, I couldn't believe he said it. We're pushing for Biden care now as the replacement for Obamacare. So that is a fight that we're going to have at some point here. Whether or not it's Biden or some other Democrat, we're going to have it. Republicans still don't have any plans. That is to their shame and disgrace that they don't, but that is just simply where we are. And something that came up towards the end of this, Biden was trying to get back, and because Trump was attacking him, as you know, he would just do all these radical things—this radical, this radical, that. And Biden said at one point, "You're running against Joe Biden. You're not running against all the people that I defeated in the Democratic primary." That's a really good point, and he made it. It would stick more if it wasn't for the fact and Trump didn't make this point he should have though but it would stick more if Biden wasn't also over here floundering and trying to hide his position on things like fracking the green new deal he he both has said he supports and he doesn't support the green new deal despite it being on his website that he supports his version of the green new deal he won't say whether or not he's going to support court packing. Now he's come out with some kind of random committee that will report to him whether or not we actually need court packing, which just an absurd notion on its face. So if you're over here hiding all these positions, and we know politically that the only reason you're hiding behind all these positions is because of the extreme liberals in your own base— then it's hard to say that you wouldn't end up going with socialized medicine if push came to shove because you're being pushed and shoved by your left flank on all these other issues. So that is where Biden's weakness shows. And in a debate where he looks weak throughout it and is struggling to answer and is fading down the stretch, it looks even worse. After that, we come to, I think this is what the moderator called the leadership question. And really, it was more of what's your leadership with Congress, I thought this was actually a really clever section. But this is where we had our bad question. I remember I mentioned that earlier. So it started out with Trump, and they're talking about the COVID relief plan. And the moderator correctly notes that, you know, people are suffering, we need to get them more relief, what are you going to do to get that through? How are we going to get this through? Trump is obviously in office, so it goes to him because he is president, and so he starts off correctly blaming Nancy Pelosi for not for refusing to negotiate, walking away from the table, yada yada yada. And the moderator even stepped in at one point and said, "Well, you're the president," as if expecting him to do anything with the cr- congressional negotiations when one entire branch walks away. And so that was the bad question of the night because we have three branches of government. And you should, and you know, if you're trying, if one party just, just flat out walks away and they're walking away, in this case, Pelosi is deliberately walking away because she thinks people suffering and not getting any aid will benefit Democrats. That is the cold political calculation here. That is what everyone knows. And it's not even a secret. So that's, and you can even see this in polls too. There are polls on this that show people blame Nancy Pelosi more than Donald Trump on not getting COVID relief through. And that's because they've seen Donald Trump's willing to open up the checkbook on practically anything and just flood the money, the market with money. Pelosi's the one sitting here with nothing, wanting to do nothing. And I think, ironically enough, she should push one through if she wants to get the Senate back. Because Senate Republicans are the ones who are saying they don't want it. I think Trump would push them, and McConnell could push them to do something. But regardless, aid does need to happen here. And so that was the question to Trump. I thought he answered pretty well. But the question from the moderator was her worst one of the night. Other than that, I thought she was great. But then she pivoted and she went from her worst question. She ended up asking her best question of the night, I thought, because you had Biden who said multiple times throughout this debate, I am the leader of the Democratic Party, not all these extremists. I'm the leader of the Democratic Party. So she actually took that language and she said, well, if you're the leader of the Democratic Party, then why are you not pushing Nancy Pelosi to push through an aid package Biden didn't have a good answer to this. In fact, he he was all word salad. He talked about working together and doing all these various things, but he didn't have an answer to this. And I thought that was interesting because this is something where if you're going to claim that mantle and you're going to claim to be that leader, but you can't push your own house to do something, despite acknowledging that it is needed and that is one of the first things that you'll do if you're elected. If you can't push your own party if you are right now the pres- the you know the, the leading candidate for president, then what are we even here for? if you can't even deal with your own party, how can we expect you to deal with the other party and, and the reality of this is that it's all political incentives i Pelosi keeps saying she's close to a deal and if she cuts a deal, that means they think they're going to lose their moderate people in the House. If they go with no deal at all, that means she thinks that their polling position is strong enough that leaving aid out, you know, skipping aid will will benefit Democrats in the long run. So the... Whether or not we get a deal or not is going to tell you a whole lot of where Democrats believe their political position is in the polls in relation to Trump and Republicans. So watch that very carefully. Obviously, I don't know what's going to happen right now, but if that changes quickly, it's because Democrats have internal polls that say that they need to pass one or else they're going to suffer at the polls. So that is the thing there, so that was the leadership section. I thought that question was really good and it showed that Biden didn't have an answer. From there we moved into immigration. This was one of the immigration and the sections on racism were Trump's weakest areas of the night, but immigration was his absolute weakest point of the whole night. And that primarily started out because it's where it started out. So the immigration section started out with the moderator asking about what he was going to do about a recent story about children who have been separated from their parents, and we don't know where their parents are. So that is obviously a an awful story, and Trump just flat out didn't have an answer on this. And so he he blathered around for a little bit, word salad. He rambled, uh, just didn't flat out didn't have an answer. He talked. He got to talking at some point about cartels and coyotes and other things, and I knew instantly that that was, unless you are an immigration hawk or immigration is one of your top issues, you had no idea what he was talking about during that section. And that was a weak point on his part. And later on, they got into talking about how, because he had ended the the policy of catch and release, which was implemented, I can't remember if it was implemented under Obama or it was happening under Bush and Obama. Regardless, it was where you, you catch an illegal immigrant, but you still end up you release them because you don't have anywhere to put them and you tell them that they need to come to a court date later on so catch and release is one of those things where people aren't just people just don't come back if you you they don't come back and you can't find them so catch and release was a failed policy an awful policy, and this is where they both this is where Biden and Trump Trump had the weakest point because his response was that, and I can't believe he said this, was that if you if, if you are in a catch-and-release situation and you do decide to come back, the only people who come back into that scenario likely have low IQ. That was wrong, bizarre, potentially even racist, depending on how you take his coloring of it. It was just wrong wrong and he should have said it. He even said himself, and you know, I probably shouldn't even say this, but they're low IQ. And you just facepalm right there on the spot. Trump, what are you doing? So that was his weak point. Fortunately for him, Biden didn't make him pay for it. I would have, I mean, if Biden was actually a competent debater and was anything like he was even eight years ago, he would have hammered that Nonstop. stop I mean, I heard that and I was like, oh no. And he should have just hammered that, but he didn't. He didn't do that at all. Instead, instead, Joe Biden decided to defend the pol- the policy of catch and release and just said they all come back. And it just, you just wanted to hit both of them over the head and just say, what are you guys doing up there? What are you doing? Because we know catch and release is a failed policy. We know it doesn't work. We know lots of them don't come back and Trump's over here calling people who do come back low. So it was just it was just a bizarre segment. Definitely definitely the low point of the night. Trump was able to build get himself out back out of it because he, you know what Trump what uh, then Biden started doing is attacking Trump for the policies that he's done. And then Trump turned around and attacked Biden and said, well, these are just some of the policies that you started. And there's a lot of truth to that. And so then he got his viral moment of the night out of this, which was, who built the cages, Joe? Who built the cages? And he just kept asking it over and over again, asking Joe Biden, who built the cages? Because the answer is, Joe Biden and Barack Obama built the cages that a lot of these kids were in, because this all happened in 2014. And if you don't remember this, You should remember this because in 2014, Republicans won a landslide in the U.S. Senate that is still having ramifications to this day because the senators who were elected then are still helping pass through the Supreme Court justices and all these appeals court judges. So that election mattered a lot. In fact, there's an argument to make that 2014 was the most consequential election, easily the most consequential midterm election in this century so far. Just because that election is directly responsible for holding the Garland uh, nomination and preventing Obama from nominating anyone and then proceeding to put on three Supreme Court justices for Donald Trump. So that election by itself has done a ton for the Republican Party. But anyway... The reason I say you have to go back to that is because the reason that Republicans won that election was because immigration was an issue, the issue of the Obama administration's administration immigration policy, where people were talking about people in cages, all these kids in cages, the separation, the the caravans that were at the border, all these things. That, excuse me, that you later saw Trump jump on. These were issues in twenty fourteen. And it gave Republicans a landslide victory in the Senate. So this, you know, who built the cages? Who built the cages? There's a very real truth to that. And Biden never gave an answer to that. He just hit back Trump and Trump's own weaknesses in this area and bizarrely defended catch and release. So this was a weak point of the night because both of them are clearly incompetent on this issue you know, Trump was able to end it throwing haymakers, but that that low IQ line, that's that's going to be in every attack ad from here to the election. So I, he shouldn't have said it. If he doesn't say it, he's fine. This just ends up being a weak point for him. But because he said it, this is going to become, this is going to be like the the, the stand, stand down, stand back, stand down, whatever that line was that ended up going viral after the first debate between the two of them. This is going to be that line from this one. It's going to be in a thousand tech ads, and he he should have known better. So from there, they pivoted to more of the racism and crime section, and this is where Trump was also weak, and it's just it's a weak topic for him. He doesn't know how to talk about it, so he's always weak here. Where he was able to swing back, because I thought Biden gave a pretty good answer on. How black families are give different instructions for their kids. That was a good answer on his part. Where where Trump clawed his way back into this discussion was that he started hitting back on the nineteen ninety four crime bill and in the fact and the the super better predator line. That I can't remember if it was Biden or somebody else, but it definitely was one of the things that happened. But the thing about the, the crime bill here that is getting lost here is that people are talking about how Biden supported the '94 crime bill. That's not true. It's not that Biden supported it. It's that he wrote it, sponsored it, and helped pass it. He was the main person pushing the 1994 crime bill. So... At this point, once they got out of the racism section and they got more focused on crime and how to deal with reform and things of that nature, this was where Trump really threw some heat. And I knew he threw some of his hardest hits of the night that I thought he should have really been making some of these arguments in any of the other sections because... What he pointed out is that Biden was talking about all these various things that needed to happen for police reform and you know all these plans, because he, he Biden started out hitting Trump on the racism angle, which is where he was stronger, and then moved into reforms that he would make. And any time he did that, Trump immediately fired back with, well, why didn't you do that while you're under your eight years with Obama or in the 47 years that... Are part of your overall public career because Joe Biden doesn't have a response for that. He has absolutely no response for why he didn't do this under the eight years with Obama. Now, he weekly, and I, and I emphasize the word weekly here, because what Trump, the, the point that Trump had prepped here and that he kept hitting was that Joe Biden was a typical politician. He was all talk, no action, and then went through all the list of things that he had done, and Biden was left over here with without anything. He has the the crime bills, he has the drug war bills that he sponsored in the 80s, and now he's up here saying we need change when he's been part of the problem, if you make that argument from Trump's point of view, and he's just done nothing. And so his weak argument, after Trump just way laid into him at one point, he he looked at the monitor and said, well, you want to know why we didn't do it, why we couldn't do anything? A GOP Congress. The Republicans wouldn't allow us to do anything, which is weak Because Trump immediately said, What, the same Republicans that passed it with me? I mean, and Trump even alluded to the fact that he had to twist some arms to get some of them to pass this First Step Act and some of these other actions that he said, which proves that he is able to work with people who can't, who don't want to do something in his own party. And he's got these other Democrats over here who are saying this is good legislation, and he's gotten a lot of plaudits on this point. And, and he can point to this and say, I've done more than you in my 47 months and you've done in your entire career. And there is a lot of truth to that. That point sticks and it sticks hard. And when Biden blames the GOP, the reason that it's a weak point is he's got all these ads. He's made all these points about, I have the ability to work across the aisle and work with people who I don't agree with. He's got these Cindy McCain ads down here. And now he's blaming these same people. It, it kind of, it, it's the same thing of him saying I don't see red or blue, and then immediately blaming red states for everything. And he's doing the same thing here. I work with everybody, but it's all Republicans' fault. And it just makes him look incredibly, incredibly weak. And there, there's one of the reasons that it is weak is that for two years there, from 2008 to 2010. The Democratic Party had a veto-proof majority in the Senate and a majority in the House. They could have anything they wanted. And they did nothing. They didn't do anything to help minorities. They didn't do anything. To, all these things that they say are needed, all the stuff they said that we needed on climate change, all these things that are existential threats. And they believed a lot of the same stuff then. It's not like we're talking too long ago. This is barely just about a decade, a decade and a half ago. They believed all these same things. And they didn't push for it. And that they immediately went in and shot themselves in the foot with a really bad health care plan. They thought they had that mandate. They did not. But they took no action. All these things that they say that are needed, they didn't try. And the, the lesson and the story, if you go back, I think Tim Alberta's book, American Carnage, really captures this point really well from those Obama years and how the Republican Party had to rebuild itself, is that... Obama could have decimated the Republican Party. He really could have. In those two years where he had all that power, he could have decimated them by reaching across and building a bridge with some of those Republicans and scoring bipartisan deals with them, which would have weakened the power of people like Mitch McConnell and others. Instead, what he did was he went with the advice of Nancy Pelosi— who, and Harry Reid, who were just partisan hounds. They wanted to shove something down the Republicans' throats, and so that's the only thing they did. They ignored everything the Republicans said, and as a result, that gave Republicans the impetus they needed to oppose because they said, well, we're being shut out here, and this is just partisan junk. This is just them shoving something down because they can. They're not actually doing this for them in the best interest of everyone. They're doing it in the best interest of themselves. So that was where Obama failed on that front. And it's also sort of underscoring where where Biden would fail in the same way. He's only a one-track partisan mind. He doesn't actually have the capacity to work with other people. He can work with people in his own party. He's not good working across the aisle, especially in, in this day and age. So those were the crime sections. And so that brings us to the very last one. And probably the biggest points that you're going to see Trump push because he got Biden to say that he had never said that he would he would end fracking which is important in the state of Pennsylvania and then later on Biden volunteered that he was going to effectively end the oil industry we were going to move away from the oil industry entirely and he claimed that we he had never said that he wanted to ban fracking Trump hammered him on this point as he should have because one there are plenty of debate clips that show Biden saying the exact thing that he was going to ban fracking. And yes, I know you could look at all of the nuance. You know, He's talking about federal lands. He's talking about maybe transitioning away from it. It's still the same thing. You're telling people that the way that they make their livelihood is going away. One way or another, it's going away. And the same thing with this oil industry thing. You're telling people who make their living here, it's going to go away. And in places like the Dakotas, where we've seen a a boom in people making wealth up there and in other places, that matters. We've seen entire cities and towns revived in western Pennsylvania on these technologies alone. And now they're talking about ending it. So Trump proceeded to hammer him relentlessly on that point, as he was right to do so. And in fact, as I said at the top, we know that these were sticking because the top searches afterward were about Biden banning fracking, and about the phrase "super predator" referring to black men during the nineteen ninety four crime deal debates. Those were the top searches. This oil industry will probably follow very closely behind, and you'll know that the Biden. We know that the Biden campaign thinks this because. Immediately, and I do mean immediately, I was literally getting on the air here. I was scrolling through Twitter real quick to make sure there's no more new updates. And there was one. There was one from the Biden campaign clarifying their position that Biden did not mean he was trying to end the oil industry. He was just talking about ending oil subsidies, not the entire oil industry. But you've got him there on tape saying pretty clearly that he wanted to end the oil industry and bring it to a close. So, that was how the debate ended. They had some pleasantries at the end, but that was the major flashpoint at the end. So, those those are all the major points of the debate. I, when I first started this, I did not think I would have nearly an hour here of going through all these points, but I do. So that's everything I've got. I'm curious to hear what you guys think. You can send me in your comments either on Twitter or you can check the the show notes where they'll have, you know, where you can contact me. So make sure to hit me up. I'm going to finish up sending out the newsletter here or, you know, putting it in the hopper to send out because it's late and I had to get this done before I finished off the newsletter. So I've written a column, done a newsletter, and now a podcast on one day. So I'm going to sleep for a long time after this. But thank you for listening here all the way to the end. Make sure to sign up, make sure to continue listening and sending in those reviews. I always look forward to hearing them. I will see you guys next time.